Welcome everybody to the One to Go show. It is Puka once again joined by Ryan Aho and Bert Lehman. Hope everyone had a great Easter. You can find all of us at Bert Lehman, at Ryan Aho, and at Racer Puka, P-O-O-K-A. So tonight we've got another very special guest. We're going to turn it over to Ryan. He'll do the intro and we'll get right into it. Ryan. Man, how you doing? How was everybody's Easter? Very good. Great. Good deal. I tell you, the, the family gatherings were a little smaller, though, probably, right? So there was you didn't really have all the World War III, if, if that's your kind of family. So Did, I yeah, didn't, have to, do, didn't have to do two meals. Didn't have to do two meals. It was kind of nice for a change. Well, some of us probably one. did, although we shouldn't have. I'm, I don't know anybody like that, but maybe this guy. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but I tell you what, yeah, we got, a, we got an awesome guest on here today. 752-time uh, Wasota 100 winner. The human highlight reel himself, Kevin Buzzy Adams. How you doing, man? Hey, Ryan. Thanks for the intro. You're uh, you're really something. You know how to sell stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're, I tell you, you know, and this is what's crazy is you don't need to be the guy that brags on you because you have a pit crew that does that, right? You got you got J Rod. He takes care of that for you. Okay, that's, that's his that's his department. He does good. But with all the success that you've had racing. You're you're one of the most humble people that I've ever met. I mean, you know, it'd be very easy for your ego to kind of take over, but but you've been humble the whole time. So you know what? How did that happen? You get that from mom or dad? Boy, I don't know. Probably my mom. Uh, she uh, she taught me a lot of life lessons when I was young, and my dad did too. But I think uh, I'd probably take her word for it uh, more than him. So I got to thank my mom probably for my calmness, but. My, I let my wife and, uh, and, and J-Rod, I let them get excited in the, in the pits and in the stands. That's, I, I live, I, I'm pretty calm. <laughs> now, we're going to get back to that in a little bit because you're not always calm. I may have a story or two about when you weren't calm. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people going to be watching. You know, some people know you, some people don't. I mean, some people literally have lived under a rock for the last 20 years, so they might not know who you are. But, uh, you know, talk a little bit about your racing career to start with. Just a, just a brief synopsis. You know, how did you get started in racing? How did you fall in love with racing? Sure. Well, uh, like a lot of racers, you know, my, my dad was a racer. So, you know, all through the 80s, um, you know, my mom would take – myself and my sister up to the Rice Lake Speedway, um, watch my dad every Saturday. And, you know, he raced for 20 years through the 70s, 80s, and I think he retired in 1993. So, you know, just being at the track with, with my family, like, like so many other people have started. And then, uh, I mean, I was pretty young when my dad retired uh, from racing. So I think I was like 12 or 13, and, and uh, my Uncle Tim he had a, a bomber of street stock back, you know, in them days. So I kind of started helping him a little bit. I, I don't know what I did, probably not much, but he'd bring me to the track because my dad, my dad didn't go to the races after he retired. I think he's like a lot of guys where he, he feared if he went, then he'd probably suck back into it. But he, he stayed on the engine building side and that's how his involvement remained with racing until, uh, you know, until I was about 17. Well, I, I shouldn't say that when I was 15, um, I was working at the grocery store in town here and saved up some money and, and bought a go-kart and then uh, Rice Lake put a little asphalt track in so I raced there for for a year until I was 16 got my license bought an old Ford truck and uh, we uh, we'd race that go-kart Superior Rice Lake uh, Menominee a couple times um, and then uh, the winter of 
gosh, uh, 97, um, my dad found a, a, a Buick Regal, an 84 Buick Regal for, you know, a couple hundred bucks and brought it to Rick Kershinsky. And I had the very first Rick Kershinsky built metric street stock, which in Wasota land has is, is been the most popular street stock for 22 years. And uh, so I can, I can say I actually had the very first one. So that was kind of cool. But so yeah, 97 started racing street stocks. Did that till 2001, um, got a super stock, raced with some guy that would, would travel all over the country, run a hundred shows a year. I think his name was Ryan Aho. Had a lot of learning to do following him and, and watching him and learned a ton and uh, stick with the, with the super stock for about five years. And then um, in 2006, we, uh, we got my first Larry Shaw modified and, uh, and I guess, yeah, the rest is history. There's been a couple B-Mod stints thrown in there, just uh, driving for other people. Um, I drove for Jamie Bizonette in 2005. He built a brand new B-Mod and I got to drive it for him in 2006. And then uh, again, later on uh, the last couple of years for George Dahlbeck, I got to drive his, his B-Mod a couple of times or uh, the last couple of years. So sticking with the modified, you know, I mean, that's, that's where I've been since 06 and uh, until this year. And, now I bumped my head real hard and, and, and got a late model, so. Yeah, I was surprised. You know, I, I stopped into your place when your shop was brand new and you said, you know, you know, I'm thinking of maybe one more year and I think I'm done. And next thing you know, I, you're switching classes. I'm like, huh, I guess so much for quitting. But, you know, you kind of, you did a 180 and, you know, it's kind of, you know, a lot of people get a lot of grief when they go down a class, right? And, and you're kind of going down a class now from the modifieds <laughs> for the late models. <laughs> Luke is a big late model fan, I, and so is Bert. So I'm a mod guy myself. So I, I kind of look at it, and you're kind of going to the to the retirement group of, of late model racing. And and uh, what's it going to be like to race against uh, the father-in-law there? Well, that's kind of you know I, I I bought a used car for a used uh, rocket from Pat Dorn. You know, and Pat. Sadly, you know, I, I still don't think as Pat is an old guy, but. He's been in the late model deal forever, so I guess you know he's kind of like the new Tom Nesbitt. So uh, I was telling telling Pat this winter, I said, you know, Pat, I said I've I've made fun of you with soda late model guys for so long. I said it's like watching vintage car racing. You guys are all buddies. You, nobody gives each other any dents. I said, man, I, I I hope I don't screw all that up. And, and he just laughed. And, but uh, you know, it was one of them deals. I was kind of I was burned out. Um, a lot of my a lot of my help was uh, burned out and, and getting their own race cars and starting families like like so many other people have drivers have dealt with. Um, I've always wanted to drive a late model. I love late models. I I, I live, absolutely live on dirt on dirt, and uh, I I won't go watch a modified race, but I'll go anywhere to watch a late model race. So it's kind of crazy, and uh, opportunity kind of came up, and a couple sponsors stepped up and. And uh, yeah, we put this deal together. Otherwise, literally, I was going to walk away. I, mean, I, I only raced 17 shows last year, and I'm used to running between 55 and 75 shows a year. So there was other factors, too, with my kids and all their sports. But it's just I was, I was burned out, kind of sick of seeing the same faces and time for either do something different or, or uh, walk away. I understand completely. And 17 shows, that's crazy. Because I, I remember there was a time when both of us, we had 17 shows in before Memorial Day. You know, I mean, that's and to have 17 shows in the whole season. Now, 
That's not necessarily totally true. You were at way more races than that because let's talk briefly about your kid. You know, it sounds like uh, sounds like he's kind of following dad's footsteps there. And not only is he racing, but now you decided you're, you're a promoter as well. So talk a little bit about that aspect. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not right in the head for one. So I, uh, I have enough on my plate between uh, my business and my wife and my kids and, and, and new shop here for the business. I mean, it's crazy. It's everything's going good in that aspect. And then, uh, you know, my, my, my daughter plays soccer and she's in dance and my boy plays summer baseball and he's got tournaments every weekend. And so uh, I, I never tried to force the go-kart thing on my kids. And, and uh, I just, I want them to enjoy all the other sports in life. So, um, so uh, my, my son Blake kind of asked me about it a couple years ago and I was like, ah, he'll get over it. So then we just got him four wheelers and, you know, do stuff like that. But we ended up with a go-kart and then we had two go-karts. Now, I mean, my shop looks like a, a mini Rick Hendrick uh, go-kart shop now. I mean, we got six go-karts in here and um, my son races in three different divisions. My daughter's in two different divisions. So, so yeah, we're, it's, it's bad. Um, wasn't, wasn't your better half, didn't she have a short little stint in that too? <laughs> Almost. We, uh, we bought her a cart and uh, put it together to run our adult division at Rice Lake and she hot lapped it one night and uh, my little girl passed her in a hot lap session and she's like, yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> so, so Megan retired early, um, but that's fine. We, we needed her in the pits anyway to, to uh, help get the kids uh, in and out of their carts and clean so tires. You, you mentioned that you kind of, you thought maybe it kind of wear off. No, not necessarily trying to deter them, but was, was there a little party going, mm, you know, maybe I don't necessarily want him to race. Like if he chose not to, I'd be perfectly cool with that. Or, you know, we're, I mean, where was your feeling on that? Right. Well, and it still is that way. I mean, if they ever tell me, either one of them ever tell me they don't want to do it, I'm, I'm not going to force them. I mean, we can sell this stuff in a heartbeat. Uh, but luckily, they're balancing both. You know, they both balance uh, multiple sports. And, and then let's throw the karting thing into the mix. And, you know, like, that's probably why I raced, you know, only 17 times last year is uh, between sports tournaments and, and, and uh, the go-karting. I mean, we were racing every Wednesday at Thunder Hill in Menominee and uh, Saturdays, like, a, like you brought up, we, we built this new racetrack at Race Lake out in the campground there. And uh, so I get to put my promoting hat on for that one. And uh, so we did that six, seven, eight Saturdays during the day. And then, you know, I mean, you know how daytime racing is in July and Wisconsin, it's 90 degrees and there's no shade trees. And then uh, turn around and, and an hour later, head to the big track there and, and race two divisions there. So it was some long days and nights. And then Sundays, get up at eight in the morning and uh, head to Cedar Lake and race the, the sandbox arena with the go-karts there all day Sunday. So it was a lot going on and, and it looks like, well, I mean, it was looking like this summer was going to be just as uh, chaotic. It, um, but we'll, we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen with all this other stuff, but it's fun. It, it's, I love every minute of it. I, I love watching them more than, 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 uh, myself racing anymore. So it, it's fun. Yeah. We're just kind of along for the ride now. No, I, I think Bert, have you met Buzzy? Have you ever, have you ever raced in Eastern Wisconsin and you know, Bert Lehman? Well, I, I've spoken with, uh, Bert a few times years ago though. I mean, this is probably back in the, Gosh, I think the late models were at Monster Hall one time, and he was covering them there because um, we used to race at that 
uh, track in Unity quite a bit years ago. But I know we've crossed paths. I've been to Anago before, Tomahawk, Eagle River, TNT, okay. but never been to Shawano or, or, or the Seymour. Yeah, I'm from eastern Wisconsin, so I'm not as familiar with your career as uh, Ryan is, uh, but I know that you've had a lot of success in your career, and I was looking at your website, and I didn't realize you won the Wissota 100 nine times. I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, for a lot of drivers, just winning at one time is a career achievement. Well, I, I don't know. Lucky, I guess. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> everything's got to fall your way. I mean, it's like that, no matter if it's a Saturday night shootout at your local track or, or the biggest race of the summer. I mean, I mean it's all the cards kind of fall. And uh, we had, I mean, I won three of them 100, three of them with Soda 100s were at Cedar Lake too. And the one year I won it, uh, there was 132 B mods there. So, um, and then the two years in the street stock that I wanted at Cedar Lake, there was over a hundred cars. So, I mean, and then the other six came at Huron, which, uh, I mean, Ryan was at a few of them at Huron. I, I just had a good package at Huron. I mean, it was like a, a Dale Earnhardt at, at a restrictor plate type deal. I mean, we just had a good package, and, and, and it worked for a lot of years in a row. I got a now, question that, on them 100s. Bert, if I am, just before I jump into the next one, sure. I, I was watching some videos, and it just kind of brought me back. Like, you have a ton of Wissota 100 wins. But what, what do you remember more, those wins or, or the couple that maybe kind of got away, right? There was one where Gilby got by you on the last lap. There was one you were leading. I think you busy heard a motor leading, you know, so there was a couple that got away. What sticks with you as a racer more? Those two were all the ones that you won. You know, I, I, I'd say uh, uh, probably they're about the same. Um, obviously as a racer you always have a couple wins that are extremely special that you'll never forget no matter if it was a you know an invite or a, a memorial or something you know i mean that, a win a win is important i don't care if it's uh in hot laps or if it's a major invite man and wins are not easy to get so but but i'm i'm telling i remember every major race i've lost i i remember dumping scott paulson at Oatana back in 2000 at the was so used to have that race of champions deal held uh they held it at Oatana one year and that was the biggest track i've ever seen in my life and <laughs> ran them down and let white flag lap and I, I, I sent it out in there and uh spun them out so i remember that one i i you, you always remember the ones you broke leading them are probably the biggest heartbreakers so i don't know i you take the good with the bad all you can do absolutely bert back to you yeah, I was just going to ask you, of the nine uh, Soda 100s that you've won, does any one, is any one more memorable in your mind than the other ones? Um, yeah, I, I guess the first one. I mean, I was a 17-year-old kid racing, you know, a street stock um, at Cedar Lake and, and, and all over here in the Midwest. And the, the crazy, and that was in 1997. And like I said, there was there was 103 cars there that year. The best part is, and, and, and Ryan remembers most of these guys, in 1997, um, it was the year I started, Dave Moss started, Tim Johnson started, we all had street stock, Kurt Myers started the year before, Brady Smith had a, had a street stock in 1996. I mean, uh, crazy the amount of, of street stock talent, you know, on top of like Scott Paulson, he was multi-time national champ. So. Uh, Dan Gullickson, I mean, the, the list, Scott Lawrence, I mean, tons of 
Yep, Hannes, all the Hannesteads, uh, you know, Chad Finkbone, just endless street stock talent that's just not around, or they've all moved up or retired. So uh, 1997 meant a lot. Um, the, the, the Wasoto 100 in 2009 at Huron, that one meant a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, they're all special in their own way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you mentioned street stocks. I was also on your website that lists that the little dream is one of the victories that you want the most. Is that still the case and why? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, when I was running the little dream race, you know, uh, maybe you'd race for 1500, 2000 to win. We're now, you know, last year it was $25,000 to win. And it's, it's at a track my dad owns in my backyard. So, um, the prestige of that race alone would be awesome, but I'm not gonna lie. I, I drove a, a street stock for a good buddy of mine, um, and I raced it at Anago back in uh, for Tito Viltz back in, gosh, I don't remember what year it was, 2007 maybe, 2006, and getting back into a car with no quick steer and, and a good brake system. Uh, back then, man, on that big of a track, I, 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 I was scared to death. So <laughs> I think I'll stick to the, the higher horsepower cars with, good brake systems and, and, uh, and go from there, even though I think the street stocks now are quite amazing compared to what they used to be. All right, thanks. You bet. Awesome, well, Puka, I, I know you guys haven't met and you know, it's kind of funny, we'll get into some Nesbitt stories here because they shared a shop <laughs> together forever and, and you, other than Ben Brost, he might, he might maybe have you beat, are the biggest Tom Nesbitt fan that I ever met. So. You know, now you guys can formally meet. So, Buzzy, Puka, Puka, Buzzy Adams. Well, I've, I've actually met him. I used to kind of be around a little bit like in the early, yeah, late 90s there, Buzzy, when you were being superior, I'd be around a little because I was around Tom a little bit. And that was that was where I wanted to stop, start with the question. Just like Ryan said, you know, Tom was, was, you know, basically lived at your shop there, you know, in his motorhome for, what, 10, 15 years. And I just wondered, you know, kind of what the relationship was with you two and maybe even, you know, Darlene and Angie and, you know, just – it was he kind of like a grandpa to you or maybe like a second dad or, you know, kind of what was that like? Yeah, it was uh, pretty awesome having Tommy there, you know, and I was pretty young um, just getting into racing, you know, when he was there all the time and uh, Darlene, his wife, she'd be there quite a bit, but then, you know, she'd always have to go home and go to work. So um, pretty awesome having Tommy there every day, you know, and, and I, I wish, um, you know, I wish he would have still been there when I got deep into the modified stuff because, you know, it would have been fun to, to bounce a lot of setup ideas off of him where before when I, I mean, he was there a lot when I had a street stock and whatnot, and he'd put his two cents in like he always does because he's a very opinionated man, but it would have been awesome to have him around uh, in my later years of my racing career just because, uh, I mean, I'm sure endless ideas and, and setup tips, but I see him quite a bit still. Um, he Every year we go to East Bay. In, in January racing the modified and Tommy's always there. So that's cool to have him sitting there with his dog, you know, and uh, uh, I see him at Knoxville. He, he's, he was just here. He literally was just in my sign shop two weekends ago. He was uh, down in Florida during the, when the pandemic kicked in and he didn't want to leave. So finally he just said to heck with it. He's been there since uh, January. So then he headed North and uh, he met up with the grandsons, the Koski boys. And what's the first place he does? He comes here. So I, thanked him for bringing the virus here probably <laughs> but uh no no tommy it was awesome I, I like i said i wish i wish uh i wouldn't have been so young um and maybe appreciated him being there more but 
man, ask Ryan. He was around in them days. We were wide open every night, staying up all night, doing crazy things, working on race cars, spilling beers, and and uh, it was a just a different time. But but yeah, I Tommy's awesome, and, and I'm still glad we get to see him. <laughs> well, and I just have one more for you. You know, obviously, like I said, your dad owns and promotes the you know track there on Rice Lake, and I just wonder if you. Have you thought that far ahead? Do you have any interest someday? Like I said, you almost unwound your racing career, you know, last year. And, and uh, have you ever looked at that promoting side and never thought about that? Sure. Well, um, yeah, my, my dad and Mitch Hansen, they're, you know, best buddies here in town. They both went 50-50 on the place uh, 11 years ago and saved it. I mean, if it wouldn't have been for them, then it would have been a, probably a housing development or, or something. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it'd be – it'd be different to be on that side of the fence. You know, I, I kind of like being on the racer side and when you do kind of have something to complain about, you don't have to feel that pressure, but uh, promoting that go-kart track last year, it, it, it brought me to reality. And, uh, and uh, I think it would be fun. You know, I think just because I'm younger than, than my dad and Mitch and I've been to so many different racetracks and seen how some racetracks can be run unbelievably awesome. And then how some need a lot of work and then how there's a lot of them in between, you know, and, just being in business myself for 21 years now, you, you learn a lot about just how to communicate with people and, and uh, maybe lock down some sponsorships and stuff like that and bring some just maybe younger blood around, so to speak. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I don't, I'm not financially um, equipped to buy the track from my dad and Mitch, but uh, maybe in a couple of years we could work something out where uh, maybe I could uh, uh, take over the reins or and tell them how much money I'm going to make them or something. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I would love to try it. it. It would be, it would be really cool to, to be a promoter and, and try to, uh, you know, turn that place around, even though it's already a, a, an established facility. Go ahead, Ryan. That's all I had for him. Yeah. On the promote, if I could give you any advice on the promoting side of it, because, because I kind of put that hat on a little bit myself, get a race director. <laughs> Um, right. if you do the promoting side, have somebody that all the drivers come and they bitch at that person. So that way you can say, look, I'm just doing what I can to fill the grandstands. He's the guy in charge. That right. would be the best advice I can give you on that for sure. So yeah. getting back to Nesbitt, man, I mean, we could probably sit here for four, five, six hours just telling old Tom Nesbitt stories, right? But, you know, right. you said that he was a little bit of a, a little bit opinionated. Were you ever around him at some of his, like, some of the – crazy stuff that he did like you know at pit meetings he would just go off or you know what are some unique stories you have about Nesbitt you're like oh my god I can't believe he did that boy oh man well anybody that knows me knows I never went to a pit meeting so I didn't I'd always hear <laughs> stories about how how Tommy would blow up at pit meetings but I haven't been to a driver's meeting in, in 19 years so <laughs> it's just it's one of my superstitions I just don't go to them um which thanks, Ryan. You got me on a couple other superstitions that I still live by as well. Red, being one of them. red, the color red. I stay far, far away from the color red. So, um, but no. Should have told I, me that. Wish I would have known. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as far as Nesbitt, no, I don't know. I mean, it's just it was more fun just listening to his stories, you know, from traveling up and down the, the United States, you know, and. Uh, it, he's got funny stories of when they snuck underneath a, a border fence down in Texas and they went and raced at a racetrack in Mexico. I mean, 
stuff like that is 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 awesome to hear and uh i i guess i get you know i get more enjoyment out of listening to them stories than maybe some of all this drama but um i mean everybody knows all the good drama stories of tom so i don't know i i just appreciate all of his good racing stories uh probably more than anything well i remember we went down oh man this is i don't remember what year it was maybe early 2000s we went down to, to east bay to watch the races down there and do you remember, like, Tom literally chewing our ass in the grandstands after night one? Remember that? I, I, I remember vaguely Tommy getting mad. But, again, I was a kid, and you guys were feeding me beers all night. So I, I don't exactly remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's what happened. So Nesbitt, he always had a box, right, a shoebox full, like, a, a, of all the different wristbands to get in. And, and I remember at East Bay, like – where, you, where you'd enter, the grandstands were along the front straightaway, and the pit road was behind the grandstands. So that way, and then it was all kind of tied together. If you were in the pits, you could walk into the grandstands. And we all paid to get in. It must have been 35 bucks or whatever to get in the, in the grandstands. And there was probably a dozen of us, you know, in our group that were sitting together. And he looked at us. He goes, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Don't you freaking listen to a word I say? And he was just mad. He just kind of, he was pissed. You could tell. So then he's like, all right, here's what you got to do. He goes, if you're a fan, if you went in the pits, they, they give you a wristband. But if you're a fan, they don't give you a wristband. They just give you a ticket. And when you go up to your car, they give you this pass. So the next day, I remember we had the whole group, and one person paid to get in the pits, bought a wristband. That person would walk through, get in the grandstands. They'd walk out with the car, hand it to the next guy. And we just kept revolving and for the whole rest of the week. Like all 10, 12 of us got in for free every single night. That's right. I remember that now. But uh, I know this is a family show, but Ryan, there's also more parts <laughs> to that story why we all needed to uh, save money uh, the next couple nights at East Bay. You being a major part in the role of somebody that ran out of money early on in that trip. <laughs> um, I'll just leave it at that. East Bay, there's a lot of fun places. There's a lot of fun places around Tampa Bay and uh, we were young and, and, and had cash in our, in our wallet. So what you're saying is he ran out dollar by dollar. It, well, I think Ryan did more than dollars, but it was good. <laughs> what happens at East Bay stays at East Bay. In fact, we remember Burback was with us? Oh, yeah. He was like Mr. Personality on that deal. And remember right. Kuyoff was down there, and we all went out that night. And remember, were you riding with us that night when Burback was getting close to the barrels? Yep, yep. And he, he knocked the mirror right off. <laughs> tell, yep. tell everybody about that, because that was absolutely freaking hilarious. Again, just uh, shenanigans. Um, there was a couple of us. Remember, uh, gosh, it, I think we had Darkhead with us, some of Paul Harlstead's crew. Tracy uh, Larson was with us. Tracy Larson was with us, Derek Grilly. And uh, we kept hitting that, that railroad track jump, too, you know. And Kuyat said that uh, he, I think he warned us that he wasn't going to lift, and we didn't believe him. And man, if Dukes of Hazard ever could have came to life, that was it right there. And I thought we were going <laughs> to die that night, too. But. Uh, yeah, that then Burback, man, that went after Burback hit that that cone, he was freaking out, and he went to every body shop in town the next day trying to paint match. And gosh, that was that I was Kuyoff ended up fixing it, didn't he? He, he ended up yeah. there. There was these barrels guys on the road in, in like road construction, and he kept getting closer and closer to him, seeing how close he would, could get, and smack. He had a <laughs> rental car, never put the insurance oh. on it, ripped the mirror off. 
And next thing you know, Kuyak owns a body shop. He does body work. So he went and got a mirror and Kuyak put it all back on. It originally had power mirrors, but it didn't have power mirrors. So we're all done. I can <laughs> no. tell you that. No, that's, that's the best part of going to East Bay, man. I don't care if you're there as a fan or a driver. It's just, you know, that, it's a destination spot, especially, I mean, you think late model winter nationals, it starts at East Bay. It, it, it don't start in Arizona. I mean, late model racing starts at East Bay. And then Absolutely. Now talk about East Bay a little bit because we have some fun, we had some fun times down there. But talk about your success because not only, I mean, you went down there as a fan for multiple years, but then you started racing down there and you won, you won a lot of races down there and kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we, we started going to, to, well, to watch down at East Bay, I think back in the mid 90s, um, on and off. And then, uh, yeah, I raced there for the first time in 2006 and I was a rookie in a modified and uh, it just fell in love with the place. And and anybody that's ever been there as a fan or a driver, it changes every year. I mean, they, they never keep the place the same. So, um, and then you throw all the other elements of the, the sandy clay and, and the tide and, and the, the water coming out of the ground. I mean, it, and the snakes and the alligators out in the pits. I mean, it's- Strawberry shortcake. Strawberry shortcake. Um, endless fumes of tire dope everywhere in the pits i mean it's it's terrible there you but. you actually got a win because you ran legal talk about that i mean you don't need to throw the guy under the bus but i guess i mean he was cheating so you might as well um talk yeah. about you ended up inheriting a win because of that yeah it uh it was the first time i've ever i've, I've never uh been handed a win before through somebody getting dq'd for anything uh, surprisingly um but Noah, it was, we won the finale this year, the 75 lapper. We won that on Saturday. And then Friday night, we ran second, led most of it. And uh, this kid, local kid that's fast as heck down there every year, he just came, he started about 12th or 15th, came through and, and, and whooped us with like three to go and never thought nothing of it. And uh, about a week later, uh, and they warned everybody the last, you know, the previous two days that they were going to start checking tires and checking tires because you knew it was going on. You could smell it everywhere. And uh, <laughs> but finally, finally, they started checking. And uh, I didn't think they were going to send the lab results in. And sure as hell, Chris Steffens called me a week later. He's like, hey, just so you know, I'm sending a, a, a check and a trophy home. I said, for what? And he's like, the guy that beat you Friday night, his tires were dirty. I'm like, no way. So, I mean, it's hard enough to get a win in Florida. We, we, we didn't get a win down there for six, seven years of trying it all them four different tracks and then we and uh, now we've been lucky enough to win about a dozen races at four different tracks down there and and then uh, now had one handed to us it's just kind of crazy you kind of stay away from volusia now is it just because you don't want to spend an absorbent amount of money on engines for that deal well uh and yeah i mean that's a lot of it but um timing more than anything you know my business ramps up um around february 1st and that's when people start uh, doing their taxes and getting cash to spend. And uh, we are, we, we always go to East Bay, which is the, the, the last weekend in January. And then generally we go to Lake city, which is the following weekend. And then by the time you get to Volusia, I mean, heck you're there for three weeks. And um, trust me, if I could have done this 15 years ago with no wife and kids, I, I would have been down there for a month, but uh, times have changed and, and, and motor wise, uh, you know, I have a, a, a open UMP motor, but man, from hearing the numbers that, you know, when you talk with Strickler and Hoffman and the guys that win there consistently, I have a big open motor, but it's not as big as theirs. So 
I think uh, it'd be fun to go there one last time with a with a massive motor, but I think I'll stick to, to East Bay and Lake City. They're just, they're a little bit, you can go down there with a Wasota motor and, and compete. So I kind of like them odds better. Absolutely. Now talking about you inherited a win, talking about teching, so on and so forth, kind of brings me back to some old teching stories. And you mentioned Monster Hall earlier. So, I mean, you want to, when I was running supers, you and I would go to Monster, you ran there pretty regularly on Fridays. And uh, how many times did you get tore down at Monster Hall? Uh, you know, really not that much, but it was all in one bad summer. <laughs> I mean, the, the locals are pretty angry. And uh, that was the year we had a super stock and a street stock. And gosh, yeah, they were, they were mad. They, that one night they tore, us, they tore both motors completely down to the oil pan, both transmissions, both sets of nine-inch gears. I mean, we got home at 7.30 in the morning. It was just me and dad and one pit guy and two haulers and uh I didn't have, believe it or not, as a motor builder's kid, I never had spare motors back then. So dad had to, we cleaned the parts. He put everything back together, had everything to go by five o'clock in time to head to race like, and then it rained. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's how that went. But So you got the nap anyway. See, and your dad is so dang handy. I mean, that, oh, oh, he can take a whole bunch of anything, put it together, make a good race engine. I mean, you know, I'm sure that you've had a few nights where you had to throw something together, and he's done that for you, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I ate, uh, you know, for years there, especially in the two-barrel classes, you know, everybody always thought, you know, like you had motors from Dad there. I mean, we always had good stuff, but I know I know the customer stuff was a little better than mine for a lot of them years until I actually learned how to drive. But, uh, um, yeah, he's told me all kinds of stories of some random welds and stuff that shouldn't have held and they did and uh i, yeah. I had one of those so i i had, I had a little stint in the late models 02 and 03 and you know had right. decent success and your dad helped me out a bunch and i mean you helped me out with buzz signs and and we were at cedar lake at the 100 and i was running pretty good in my heat i was somewhere in the front of my heat and all of a sudden i burnt a piston and we hope i didn't have a spare engine i could barely afford to even get to the track at that time and uh we had it up in there and i looked at the lineup we were outside front row for the b main and i'm like hmm, well let's at least take a look at it and we pulled it out the heads were good and there was a hole in the piston so we're, we're at the racetrack pulled the piston out called up your dad literally drove the cameron he welded it fly cut it we put the piston back in went out made the show and i don't know where we ran but uh it was one of those deals where he just just innovative and people just don't do that stuff anymore it seems like you know one little thing happens they're done for the night right right and the parts cost a lot more nowadays too so when they do break man if that happened back then ryan we wouldn't see we wouldn't have seen you for a year <laughs> <laughs> no kidding because i i had absolutely zero money that was back in the day you could write checks and right. like hopefully you made enough money over the weekend to cover them on monday and right. that's how I race, right, wrong, or indifferent. I got a financial planner that's a friend of mine, and he's just shaking his head, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's I, the thing. You know, just, I, tell, I tell you, I tell a lot of stories about my days when Ryan Aho was, you know, he didn't have a full-time job. His full-time job was racing. And, uh, I mean, he'd show up at our shop at 3 in the morning on a Thursday night on his way home from Wilmer because he wrecked the right side. So we'd throw stickers at him, get him out the door. He'd, he'd head to Superior Menominee. I mean, he was a true outlaw of the Wasota <laughs> sanctioning body back then. So that was pretty neat. And, uh, and Ryan actually taught me a lot on, on, you know, not necessarily 
uh, racing on a, well, kind of racing on a budget, but how to utilize your winnings and, and, and you know, and, and reinvest it the right ways into your race car instead of spending it foolishly. So to this day, I still have the exact same checkbook. Um, I started with in 1997 and, uh, every every race i've ever won the check goes right back into that account and like i said my dad bought me my first car and luckily since then we've maintained this checkbook through sponsorship and, and winnings and i tell you it's after this late model it's getting depleted pretty far but man i can still <laughs> say i have the original checkbook and it's still going that that's a plus and that's something that nesbitt was so dang good at right i mean mm. he that's what he did forever is is he he raced and, and he never looked at what it paid to win. He looked at, like, what is fifth pay? What's tenth pay? What's it pay to start? And, you know, right. and, and he was – he's probably one of the people that was really extremely wise with how to really race three, four, five nights a week and maintain it just on your winnings. And I learned a lot from Tommy. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and that's – you know, the, Tommy, you know, says the term Dolly Parton payouts a lot. You know, they're big on top, little on the bottom. But, you know – them days were popular for a long time, especially in the, the open modified and late model world. And now you're finally starting to see, you know, 20,000 to win late model shows, but it's paying like, you know, three grand to start, which is huge. So yeah, I absolutely. All races so, want to make a little money. Right. Right. And, and that makes it a lot better because at the end of the day, you know, when I first got into promoting, I looked at it and I'm like, man, we got to pay good to win. But at the end of the day, there's only a handful of guys that really are going to, that are really looking at that consistently. you you got to have the whole ball to the field there. And you said that typically, you know, you, you didn't really, you're pretty low key and you didn't necessarily always, you know, you know, you don't really get too fiery. I remember one night in the Wilmer, you were there with your street stock and I don't was it Myers? Did Myers dump you? Mm, maybe. Uh, me and Kurt used to have a lot of battles. <laughs> I, I remember literally, because I, I was running a super and you were running streeters. We got along good, and all of a sudden somebody dumped you in the back straightaway wall, and all of a sudden there you go beeline across because <laughs> that person got black flagged. I think it was Myers, but all of a sudden you're running across there because you're gonna go rip him a new one, and literally you you come off turn one and you hit the mud and you fell in the mud and then you were really pissed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that was me. I think you're telling stories again. But <laughs> that, that would have been a good one to have on video right there. Cause usually, I mean, usually you are low key and, you know, talk about that atmosphere of things. I mean, the, the racing is one thing, but you know, talk, there's a lot of things with Buzzy after the races. There's a lot of partying and a lot of having fun and, you know, talk a lot. What is, is racing missing that? Is that happening the same as it was, say, 10 years ago? Um, I, I, well, I think it's a lot different now, especially with, you know, the, the, the parties afterwards. You know, the cops, the drinking and driving is so serious now. And uh, amongst all the other chemical warfare these kids are getting into. Uh, so, I, you know, it scared a lot of them people away. So, you know, we behave now. We don't we're, – we're older. We're wiser. But, you know, we – you, I mean, you know, anybody that's been around the racetracks know that there's always that local pub that all the racers would go to after the races, you know. And uh, I can see it, like, on a Saturday night. There's a bar 100 yards from the front gate at Race Lake Speedway. And you go there, if you, you know, you stop there afterwards. You, used to, you couldn't find a parking spot. Now you go there, you'll maybe see one other hauler. You know, it's just them days are gone. And like I said, it's just it's too risky to, to risk drinking and driving and all that fun stuff. but. 
that's why invitational seasons, it, it's still special because you can camp right at the tracks and, and see all these people and, and, and tear things down and whatnot. It's just uh, the atmosphere is still there. It's just a lot more limited than what it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about invitationals, you know, there's some different series out there. Like, and I don't, have you ever fully followed the Advantage RV Mod Tour? Or do you mainly just hit the shows that are kind of closer to your area? Yeah, I just always tried to kind of race around, you know, when they come to Menominee and Jim Falls and, you know, Rice Lake and St. Croix years ago. Just, it's too hard, you know, when, when you're running a business, I mean, you know, it, it, you can only be gone so much. And, and uh, for the longest time, I was the only, I was a one-man show. So um, if I could have had a, a full-time employee them, you know, five, six years ago, or even back in the Como Mod days, man, I, it would have been awesome. But that's why we just, we'd, we'd race our three, four nights, literally within a couple hours of the house, and you could still be home by midnight and get up and go to work. So. You know, a lot of people say that. A lot of people say, you know, how come Buzzy never races all these other series? And how come he doesn't go here? And how come he doesn't go there? Folks, it's because he's responsible, right? <laughs> See, when he was talking about me racing three, four, five nights a week, I was maybe not responsible. I was, I was putting focus on racing and not making money. Therefore, I was broke when I got done. He still has the same checkbook going. See, there's a lesson in that. If you're a racer watching that, learn that. There's a lesson in that. And, and, and here's the deal. Some of the drivers that you're competing against probably should be happy that you don't race them seriously because you'd be a force. I mean, you know, talk about some of the bigger races you won. You won didn't you uh, have a heck of a race with Ebert and win the Mod Nationals at Ogilvy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's our body of work is pretty, you know, I like to think it's, it's pretty good. I mean, you know, you know everything about with Soda stats. And, I mean, I think we could stack up with anybody as far as pound-for-pound pound stats go, but. It's just, you know, we tried to race sensible over the years. It, uh, if, if I could have financially been able to do it, that USMTS deal 10 years ago would have been awesome. But, I mean, you know, you, you did it for a whole summer. If you're not in the top three, you're not paying the bills. And most of them guys have unbelievably back, you know, good backers behind them. And uh, it's, it's tough. You can't make a living doing it, that's for sure. I had to get, you know, like I said, I've been in business 19 years now, and uh, and it's it's awesome. I got a big, brand new, beautiful shop, and and you know, hundreds of awesome customers in the racing world. Besides all of our great commercial, so um, yeah, if I could do it all over again, it'd be fun to to, to roam the earth and uh, race everywhere. But I tell you, it, it's life's good. I'm happy, great wife, great kids. So we'll just keep going. There, there's another guy. So Menominee, okay. So you're, it's kind of a love-hate relationship with Buzzy Adams and Menominee. I remember, wasn't there a year there where you were winning so much that half the crowd would just boo you like crazy? <laughs> I don't think I have to be winning. They still just boo me like crazy. It's, <laughs> now, that, that, that Menominee, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. It's like, you know, I've heard horror stories from the locals at, at Hibbing, you know, like if you're not from Hibbing, they're going to crucify you up there. And, and Menominee is the exact same way. It's, uh, they, they're proud of their homegrown guys, and, and their homegrown guys defend their turf well. And uh, when you got Jimmy Mars there, which is like, that's not even fair. You can't even put them on Menominee's team, you know. But well, he fought I'm glad that, you yeah. said Jimmy Mars, because that's where I'm going with this, is, is what, what, what year was it the Punky Manor – maybe 16 or something where you actually drove by. I'm not sure what year it was, but didn't you pass him late in the race to win the punky? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a last 
second to last lap deal. And I mean, if you're gonna if it, if it, if you're gonna beat anybody at Menominee, it's it's you want to try to outduel Jimmy Mars or, or Craig Thatcher. I mean, them are the two best. You know, throw Ronnie Proc now in there. I'm mean, probably the three best guys ever to come out of Menominee, and uh, pretty pretty awesome to duel it out with Jimmy. You know, I mean, it's uh, it was exciting, and, and adrenaline took over. And it, uh, my wife earlier that night, we we were leading the BMOD feature and, and broke with three to go, and she gets her pretty hard in the crowd there. You know, they they're pretty brutal, and uh, so. <laughs> I was pretty wound up about that and because I don't like hearing stories of people, you know, threatening her, threatening, you know, my, my family that's it with her in the stands. So I was pretty juiced up. And then after beating Jimmy, you know, literally an hour later, you know, your emotions take over. And it was nothing against Jimmy. I mean, I have the utmost respect for him and his career. It was more uh, directed at some of the Menominee faithful. <laughs> you know, I, I watched the recap of that. I watched the – I guess the highlight of that on on YouTube, I actually was looking it up, and when they saw when they showed you going across the line, there was a lot of people on their feet cheering for you when you won that. So there may have been some some kind of dissension with some of them, but you, you, I think you still have some pretty good backing there as well. Yeah, well, that's that's awesome. I try to keep everybody happy, but whatever. I mean, that's you you know when you know if they booed you, it's almost like a form of respect too. So so just uh, just keep doing what we're doing and and uh, see if we can sell some T-shirts. Absolutely. Speaking of, uh, you know, trying to keep everybody happy, there's a guy that maybe didn't keep everybody happy. I'm not sure if you followed it or not. We talked about it earlier uh, with, uh, with Kyle Larson. He was yeah. on the YouTube deal or, or on the iRacing deal and made a, made a comment that, you know, he, he used the N-word, right? And it was just kind of relating it to his buddy saying, hey, so, you know, say the word. Not a good word to say, but – Man, you know, as a racer that's been around for a long time, won a lot of championships, looking at the promoting side of things, what is your thoughts on the way that he's absolutely been crucified? I mean, they kicked him out of NASCAR, banned him from iRacing, McDonald's walked away, um, Credit One Bank walked away. I mean, he literally went from, like, hero to zero like that. What's your thoughts on that? Wow. Yeah, like, yeah, when me and you were talking, I, I read it early this morning on Yahoo, you know, just – and at that time, they said he was just suspended, you know, indefinitely. And then you told me what happened now the, the, the last couple hours. But, you know, the, the world we're in, it's so, it's so soft right now. Um, I mean, I understand the, 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 the terrible history of that word, you know. Um, you listen to a lot of rap music, and that's all they say. So, I mean, I'm on both sides of it. If I'm a corporate sponsor sponsoring somebody like McDonald's, that's, you know, uh, friendly to, to every race that's a bad deal you know um but it's slang talk you know i mean he's not doing it to be mean it's just uh it's it's the time we're in you know you can't a person a public figure like that on a national stage it, it they put him on they put him on the spot and it it sucks so it sucks for him but you know what it's america it's the land of second and third opportunities and chances so Hopefully his uh, PR guy writes up a good apology letter, and uh, we'll see him again. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it was a bad deal all the way around. And, you know, that, that's something that I think we just got to be conscious of because, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, the Internet wasn't a big deal. But now, I mean, there's people watching you all the time. So that's just something we got to watch. So 
talking about you've been on all the years of racing, all the fun stories, all the ups and downs, looking at possibly getting into the promoting side. What's missing? Right? The the fan counts have gone down, the car counts are going down a little bit. What's missing in your opinion to get racing really just back on the map? Well, I think um well, obviously the first thing is the cost. Um you know, an 18-year-old kid can't afford to go out and buy a $20,000 motor to put in his $40,000 overpriced modified roller, you know. So um, the cost is a big thing, but uh, it's, you know, you see it. Everybody sees it. Our youth of today, if they're not being pushed or, or um, involved in a sport like go-karting or out in their garage with their dad doing oil changes, you know, stuff, if they're not hands-on involved, when they get into high school, they're not going to go the auto, you know, the auto sport direction. So I think that's why this go-karting thing is huge. Uh, get these kids out of the house, get them out of the, off the iPads and, and get them learning wrenches. I mean, two years ago, my son, you know, he's uh, 11 now, but you know, he, he knew what tools were, but now he can actually, you could tell him to, to go get a, you know, a, a half inch wrench and he can find it or, or whatever. So clean your air cleaner, take your wheels and tires off. I mean, that that's, you got to get these kids out doing things if you're going to keep them around 10, 15, 20 years from now. Um, but so I'd say between them two, you know, the, just the affordability is the, probably the biggest thing, you know, but again, yeah, absolutely. Parents, and just getting them involved. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. I saw a track in Illinois is going to do like a mentorship program where, you know, kids can actually, they can shadow a flagman, shadow a race game. They can shadow people just to kind of be involved. And it's going to be kind of fun fun to see some of that stuff progress. So, Bert or Puka, you know, do you guys have any final questions or any thoughts there for Buzzy before uh, before we jump off? Well, I have one final question. Uh, I mean, we kind of touched on it. I mean, you're going to be racing a late model this year. Uh, what are you looking forward to about racing a late model? Well, I, I think the main thing is just, it's a, like a new challenge. So um, it makes me motivated. Um, you know, like I said, the last couple of years in that mod, I just wasn't driven like I used to be. I mean, kind of running your same two, three tracks every week and it lost its fun. And now it's, it's uncharted territory. I've never even sat in one. I've never hot lapped one, never done nothing. So um, when I mounted my seat two months ago, I mean, it was, it already feels different and I love it. I absolutely love it. And then, uh, uh, you know, my swan song in the modified division was at East Bay a couple months ago. And I, cause it wasn't even my car. I was driving it for George Dahlbeck. So that's kind of a good, good win to end my modified career on. And now it's, it's a hundred percent full steam ahead in the late model world. And, uh, you know, my schedule's going to be kind of sporadic. Uh, race lakes got, well, we had, uh, five late model shows scheduled, but now I think, the virus is probably going to swallow up one of them for sure, maybe two. I hope not. Um, otherwise, uh, I bought a parking spot at Cedar Lake, so we'll be there quite a bit. Um, start out at Menominee if they get to open right away, which probably won't now. And then uh, Superior. I mean, I go there on Friday nights and get the race with my father-in-law. That'll be awesome. And uh, there's a lot of good guys up there, too. So if we can, you know, hit some Challenge Series stuff and, and uh, probably head back to the 100 this year, um, it'll be – It'll be a full summer, and like I said, throw all my youth sports into it. It's it's going to be hectic. Now, have you set any goals for yourself? I mean, what would you consider a successful year in a late model? Well, obviously, everybody wants a win. So, um, 
I'll be the practical, I'll say the practical answer and say I'd love a win, but I'm going to raise it higher. I'd, I'd like to at least get five wins. I mean, probably won't happen, but I'm sure going to, I'm sure going to give it the old college try and try to make it happen. Okay. That's what I like to hear. Cause I don't want to hear Buzzy Adams going, man, I hope to win one this year. Uh, there ain't no Buzzy Adams fans going, man, you know, that's a good goal. Try to win one. Maybe, maybe like hot Carl behind you win one B main, right? Try to win one B main. <laughs> we could get one of that too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I got, I got hot Carl giving me some setup tips. So it, uh, we're, you know, between him, between hot Carl and Pat door, man, it's, it's records or checkers for us. You just got to put some fuel in the float bowls. All you got to do. So right here. There you go. So, in, in speaking of the run of the late model, I mean, a, a few years ago, you came up to Rapids pretty regularly, and I'm not sure if you looked at any footage on Dirt Race Central, but, man, that place was good last year. I mean, they they added all new clay. They put new clay on again this year, and it was racy. They got, you know, they got an NLRA show, a Challenge Series show. They got, I think, seven late model shows, the World of Outlaws. Are you going to come up to Rapids at all, and are you going to hit any of the World of Outlaws shows when they kind of make the swing through? Yeah, that, that's tough, you know. I mean, um, the Rapids deal might be tough on a Thursday. Maybe. We'll see. Um, definitely like to get up to Rapids. That NLRA show would be cool. Um, otherwise, the Outlaw stuff, I mean, taking a Wasoda motor to that deal is basically, uh, wow, knife in a gunfight situation. But, but the start money's amazing, you know, and when them guys only bring 16, 17, there's a pretty good chance that a Wasoda guy could make some decent start money. So, so that would be fun. I, Menominee, realistically, we'll probably go there for that Sunday Outlaw show. Maybe try to knock the wall down and make the field and get in get in Sheppy's way or something. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it, it'll. Uh, so that'll be fun. Yeah, I don't know. We're just we're gonna have we're gonna have fun and race when we can. Um, I'm gonna go to Jackson, Minnesota, uh, when the uh, the Tri-State Series is the support class for the uh, Lucas guys when they're there in July. Uh, Good buddy of mine, Chad Olson. He's he's in uh, really good with that tri-state series. So we're gonna go there and hang out with them guys. And, uh, it'd be great because I I only get to see Jimmy Owens and Kyle Brunson when we're in Florida. So I'll go wedge in right with them guys and hang out with them for a couple days at Jackson. So looking forward to that. Yeah, you probably learned. I mean, you had a car from Jimmy Owens, and obviously you did. Weren't you? Did you run one of Bronson's cars down in East Bay? So yeah, yeah. you got a pretty tight relationship. So they. They both got it going on, so that's probably good elbows to kind of rub elbows with them guys. You might learn something for that late model for sure. You bet. Yeah, they're both XR1 guys, so hopefully, uh, like I said, I mean, between Pat Door, Pat Door's helped me a ton already, and uh, we're just slowly buying more parts, man. I don't have, I don't have anything. I have no spare parts, nothing. And Pat told me he's like, "Don't worry about it. I got plenty of spare parts." I'm like, "Oh, we're probably gonna need it." <laughs> uh, I haven't seen a plastic nose piece on a race car in uh, 16 years. So it, it'll be different. <laughs> yeah, I just, well, uh, one of my questions was Grand Rapids. The next one was, you know, are you going to run a Ford? I mean, I know your dad's a big Ford guy. I mean, I guess I should ask, have you been running Fords in the mods and are you planning on it in the late model? You know, we, we dabble, we go back and forth between the Ford and the bow tie. Um, <clears throat> modified wise, I haven't ran a Ford in my modified in uh, probably four or five years, but that B mod I drove last year for George Dalbeck, that had a Ford in it. That was a that was a pretty lethal little motor. But uh, no, we'll, we'll be a Chevrolet in this one. It's actually it's uh, one of my modified motors, and we just put aluminum heads on it, and uh, and that's basically what we're gonna do. Uh, 
we'll just see what happens. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Hopefully we can get the season going within the next three, four weeks and uh, see what we can do. Yeah, best wishes. Back to you, Ryan. Thank awesome. You. Well, I tell you what, man, we sure appreciate you jumping on here, multi-time national champion. I mean, you've won. I mean, are you, you're over 500 feature wins now, aren't you? Or are you over 600? Or No, I think it's five, I don't know, five, in the 520s, I think. That's when it starts to get pretty cool, right? Here, I thought I had a lot, and then you go ahead and, like, over double what I got. So, yeah, you've had a storied career, and, you know, it's it's fun to see kind of that, that passion come back because after you're in the same class, you kind of, so to speak, you won everything that you could win. You've done everything that you could do, you know, and it's nice to kind of get that hunger back because really to race at a high level and win, you've got to be hungry. And and if you're not if you're not trying to win, why do it? It's kind of been my my thoughts, I guess. Yep, I agree. You know, and I, I think that's why I had more fun go kart racing with the kids last year because I knew nothing about it. So then I had to do my homework and and you know, and I tell you, I get I did some front end stuff on on the one the the little wing cart. And I didn't think it'd work in a million years, and it did. And it's like this is fun. So that made that fun for me. And um, yeah, that late model deal is going to be awesome. Uh, I'll miss the mods, though, man. I got so many good stories and memories in that mod deal and good people, you know, you've raced with. But then there's also a lot of them guys I raced with in the mods that, that moved up to late models. So it'll be it'll be fun to see a lot of them guys again. You going to run any specials in the mod? Um, as of now, no. Uh, George Dalbeck, the owner, you know, he's trying to sell that car. And uh, if it if it doesn't sell, maybe in the fall. But But I told George, you know, I'm like, if we're going to do this late model deal, I have to be a hundred percent into it. I, I can't be, you know, thinking about, you know, man, maybe I should go race that mod tonight too. And it's like, you know, you've done double duty. It's just, you got to be 110%. And against the, the field, the late model guys, literally between Menominee and Cedar Lake, man, they're the best in Wasota. So if you sneeze, you're going to lose five spots. So I got to, uh, I got to be ready for them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, I tell you what, man, we enjoyed having you, having you on the show. It's always fun to visit with you. Um, hopefully this COVID stuff gets done so I can get up in your neck of the woods and we can we can visit and kind of shoot the breeze a little bit. And, you know, again, uh, there he is, ladies and gentlemen, the human highlight reel himself, Kevin Buzzy Adams. So I see him shaking his head back there, but that's my <laughs> name for you. You're just going to have to take it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Buzzer. Thanks for everything. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. You bet. Thank you. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Ryan, as always, for conducting a great interview. And, yeah, we'll get right into this, uh, you know, the aforementioned Kyle Larson, because that's kind of the, you know, just broke today, kind of the big news of the week. You know, we kind of, for those of you in the audience, you know, we planned these, these podcasts all week, and then all of a sudden this morning, you know, just everything was piping up on social media and headlines everywhere. And, and uh, you know, we, obviously we – you know, we gave some opinions. Maybe I'll start out by giving mine a little bit. And yeah, I mean, I just, you know, the comment, if you, if you listen to it, but it wasn't necessarily aimed at anybody. I mean, Kyle Larson's half Japanese himself. It just, you know, and I was talking to my wife about this, you know, some of this stuff is, you know, it's into pop culture, you know, and a lot of this stuff like Ryan, well, even Bert, maybe you, you know, like when I was a teenager, there was a powerful movie out called Boys in the Hood and had a lot of that kind of language. And, and it, it turned into kind of like, hey, homie, you know I mean? I didn't say, hey, homie, until, like, Boys in the Hood came out, you know, and it just, you know, I mean, I mean, I can, I guess I understand the punishment in, in some degree, but then you got a guy like Chris Rock who gets paid millions, and he says this stuff all the time, so why isn't he being punished? I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not saying, 
he shouldn't be punished necessarily. I'm saying if one's getting punished, maybe everyone should get punished. You know, as a matter of fact, talking about Tom Nesbitt, he was good at that. I remember we were at the bar one time. Was it, what's the bar rate by Proctor there? The, the, Ryan, the bar rate by Proctor, it's down the block, the old flips. Uh, yeah, there, well, there was flips down there. There was a bunch uh, down in the Proctor area. I don't – What's I guess the one right from the track? I, I, I was can't... never the guy that – a powerhouse yeah. was down there. Yeah, I'm in a powerhouse. Yeah, so we're there, there one time, and I was like 25, and, and you know, I came in, and, and I think my brother drove. It was my wife and I and him and his girlfriend, and we walked in. We were with them, and they had some drinks in their hands, and, and they wouldn't serve me because I don't think I had my idea. I can't remember if I left it in the car. I must not have had it at all, but anyway – you know, it was a consistency thing. And they're like, and Nesbitt says, well, why did you serve me? And of course he's like 60 years old at the time. And the guy kind of rolled his eyes and they got, they got fierce. They literally dumped their, him and his wife dumped their drinks on their ground and said, we're never coming here again. We're going wherever. And we, we all left. And it was just, it was, so I guess I'm getting back to this consistency thing with, with Larson and, and like a Chris Rock. So I, I don't know. It just, I'll let you guys do your take. And then I have one more small take on it. Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> I would say, go ahead, Bert. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, in this day and age, you just can't say that word. I mean, whether you, no matter how it's used, you just can't say it. And I mean, it's unfortunate that it happened. And I mean, I just don't think, I mean, this shouldn't end his career. I mean, it's, you know, it was a mistake. You know, he should apologize. And, you know, hopefully everybody else, you know, will forgive and, you know, move on. But um, unfortunately, when you say that word, it causes a media buzz. And we all know what happens when the media gets a hold of something. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing well, that it, right now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, and it, and it sounds like, it doesn't sound like the career. I mean, I actually, right before we jumped on, I did see a couple of sponsors that said, hey, we're going to stick with you. The guy deserves a second chance, you know, so – you know, maybe well, we'll his, start being more. I did read his uh, sprint car sponsor is staying with him. So yeah, I guess um, yeah, that's what it was too. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the sprint cars. So Flame Farms, I think. Go so ahead. Who's Chevrolet? Did Chevrolet drop him, or are they still with him? Uh, no, don't. Chevy sus- suspended him. They didn't drop him. That's one thing I've noticed is a lot of them are saying, you know, we're indefinitely suspending him. So you know, they're just gonna. I think they're just going to, uh, you know indefinitely suspend them and then as things that cool down a little bit you know he'll go through you know training and and whatnot and he'll be back eventually yeah from what i looked at online you know i i saw and you know maybe things change everything kind of progresses but it looked to me like mcdonald's was terminating the relationship yeah. and same with credit one bank terminating the relationship yeah those you know, two so, did yeah so some of that stuff i racing said you know, hey, we're not going to let him play anymore, Correct. which, oh, well, right? <laughs> um, you know, that's my view on the iRacing deal. Um, yeah. and, but, but here's the deal. So I watched Pat McAfee, you know, he's got – I watched some of his stuff on Facebook, and I was trying to look up as much stuff because I wanted to see if I could get some different views on this because I'm kind of torn. And, and he played in the NFL, and he said that at a young age, he got – you know, he was the minority as, as a white, I think, kicker. He was a minority in, in NFL, right? And really what he talked about is you learn very quickly, you know, the culture of other people. And he said, there's one word, there's one thing, only one word in the whole world that you can't say as a white person. 
And right. that was the one word. And yeah. regardless of the context, it's just you got to be smarter than that. I mean, when you're, you know, you got when you're promoting yourself, promoting your brand, and you're making, you know, you got millions of dollars being thrown your way. A little bit of common sense goes a long ways. And you know, do I do I think that he necessarily was way, way, way in the wrong? No, I don't. You know, I, I don't. I think it was kind of a term of endearment, you know, if you will. You know, not that that word's a term of endearment, but a lot of us have our buddies, right? And you know, you know, we maybe verbalize them different ways. You know, hey, dumbass, how are you doing? Like some people be like, why are you calling your friend a dumbass? I don't know. That's just what we do, you know. And I think right. that's kind of what he did there, right, wrong, or indifferent. Now, if he would have been having an altercation with a with a black person and then said, "Hey, you dumb bleep," well, that would have been extremely offensive. And I can see just absolutely crucifying him for that because that's way uncalled for. That is, but the way that he kind of said it, you know, I, I think that he's getting way too much punishment. I mean there's been people that have been kicked out and let back into all different sports for a whole lot less than one single word that was used in kind of a not even a horrible context so I'm, I'm just uh, I feel bad for them you know hopefully people learn in general because you know like I said there's that one thing and if you really think about it how did he get into NASCAR right he was part of the NASCAR drive for diversity program as as a Japanese American Right. Right. And now there's now he's booted out from a racist comment. Well, that's just kind of weird. You know, if you ask me, you know, it's not even like he's a full on Caucasian person making that comment. So it's just kind of it's one of those deals where, you know, you just got to be smarter and always understand that if you're online doing anything, people could be watching, period. And if, if you're in that position, you just you have to be smart. Imagine if Donald Trump would have said the same thing, right? Oh my goodness, he would have been just absolutely crucified forever, right? And they already, you know, people already say that he's a racist. They already say that. But if, imagine if he would have said that. So if you're in a position of in notoriety, you, you just got to know, you know, what to say and what not to say. And the race car side of me, the race car driver, I am so glad. I am so, so happy that they didn't, you know, have the internet quite as much when I was racing because I probably said a whole lot of things that I shouldn't have said. And, uh, you know, I don't know that I used that word or whatever, but I, I used a lot of words that I shouldn't have said, and I would have been just absolutely just thrown under the bus. So um, hopefully people learn from it. You know, like like Buzzy said, we're in the land of second and third chances. So, you know, I think, uh, I think he's going to have to, you know, kind of make up for it. And in order for this to blow by, what I think needs to happen, you know, if, if this if there's any chance of this blowing by, I think there has to be somebody of significance in the sports world that is an African American to come on and say, guys, look, I mean, whatever, you didn't mean nothing by it. If something like that happens, then I think this is gonna get pushed aside. But if if they all, you know, if they like the whole society if everybody just keeps coming at him like, man, man, he's just horrible, he could be in a world of hurt. I mean, this right. I don't know that his NASCAR career could recover unless he had a little outside help from the right people. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I agree. And, and that's, you know, we talked a little bit about iRacing, and this is the second gap in, you know, a little over a week that's happened. And, Ryan, you know, me, you and I have discussed this, and, Bert, you know, we're a little bit worried about the iRacing. Well, maybe now some of the guys 
You know, we're talking about Bubba Wallace. Those of you listening to the show last week, you know, Bubba got in a little trouble, lost his sponsor. Now we see Kyle Larson. So maybe some of these guys are going to second guess a little bit. I mean, could you imagine if Tony Stewart was mic'd up during one of these IRA races? I mean, <laughs> I mean, yes, you know, I can. <laughs> You know, he would outline great swear at the camera in the pits in Bristol, you know, and not necessarily name calling somebody, but, you know, so, I, you know, and I, I follow Donnie Shots. I don't know if either of you do, but, you know, he's been doing a lot of stuff with Ford and, and you know, hey, what are you doing today for Easter? You know, you know, us at Ford Performance are doing this. And, and I don't know, I think he might be even doing some iRacing, but, you know, his, his tone is, you know, because the point of these guys doing this stuff is to get some exposure for the sponsors, right, and to promote them the league, you know, like NASCAR, the league, or if you're world of outlaws, a sprint car, you're world of outlaw, late model guy, you know, and, and Donnie has got a lot of different kind of content coming through on the Ford side. And maybe some of these races, especially if you know, you got a temporary little loose lip should look at that model rather than the iRacing model. Yeah, I, well, I totally it, agree. You know, people, I mean, two people have already lost sponsorships and gotten in trouble just because of something they did on a video game. Yes, I know it's a simulator. I get it, right? <laughs> it's a video game, all right? At the end of the day, it's a really high-tech video game, but it's a video game. And they're losing sponsorships, and in this case, losing his livelihood over the whole deal. If I were if I were a driver, I would be like one or two things. I'd be like, I'm not even going to like talk on there, or I'm just like, I'm out. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out because, you know, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Now, here's the question, though. If they're on a NASCAR team, I'm guessing they're more than likely, you know, their their car owners telling them they have to, they, uh, you know, yeah. this, so they're gonna be the sponsors. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they 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 may be in a position where they have to do that. Again, I, I think let's just put it this way: that same mistake isn't going to happen again anytime soon, right? Because with what happened there, all the all the other drivers, they got to be sitting there going, "Holy crap." Are you kidding me? Like, boy, I bet I'm going to keep my trap shut because I just saw what happened to him. I I think that a lot of people look at that and say, okay, I better watch my P's and Q's because there's a lot more people watching. And it really only takes one, right? I mean, all, all a person had to do is see that, and then you can record it somehow. I, I don't know much about the iRacing, but you can record the screen, and then all of a sudden somebody says something stupid, and people naturally are like, oh, look what they said throw it up on the internet and all of a sudden, bam, just blown out of proportion. So again, well, people just got to be careful. And I mean, it's kind of the perfect storm in the fact, and like I said, I mean, you can't say that word, but it's getting a lot of publicity also because there are no other sports going on. So, I mean, this is, this is the sports <laughs> news that all the networks and all the news outlets have to go with because there is no other sports going on right now. Yeah, we need we need an NBA player to really be like an NBA player and really screw up and, and steal the headlines. You know, I mean, ESPN can go to that. You know, but what did, what did Jay what did Jay Leno used to say? Say uh, he say Happy Father's Day, everybody, and in, uh, in NBA land, it's bullshit day. <laughs> So we need something like that to go on, get them out of the headlines. <laughs> well, we're going to turn to uh, Buffalo River Speedway just outside of Moorhead. Uh, sounds like they're going to cancel the season due to COVID, but we're not so sure if it's due to COVID. Ryan, do you have uh, – why don't you take over? You've, you know, you got some insight on this Buffalo River. 
Yeah, I, I do. I, I've spoken to se several drivers that actually raced over at the Buffalo River Speedway. I talked to some area promoters from, from around there. And kind of what the feeling that I got is, is a few years back, a new, you know, a new group of investors, so to speak, they own some businesses, bought that place. And they hired a guy to basically run the race program. And, you know, and, and things were just kind of going downhill. Now, not just there, just in, in racing in general, kind of the numbers are kind of falling, right? And, and uh, a couple of years ago, they made the switch. They went to IMCA, which basically eliminated every, everybody east of them. Um, they also switched from traditionally running on a Sunday night. They decided, hey, we're going to race Saturdays. And, man, they're Saturdays. <laughs> They, they really, really took a bath because some of their drivers went to Jamestown, Brainerd, Alexander, wherever. They went to all different tracks. They already had a Saturday track. Well, from what I understand is this year, the, the initial plans going into this year is they were only going to run four weekends. And they were going to run four double headers, one being Memorial Day weekend, one being the Corn Cob in September, and then two weekends in between. And then, you know, and that was basically all they were going to do. And then when this whole deal happened, I think it was just kind of a like, well, here's our opportunity to kind of bow out because the investors, they said, hey, look, we're not profitable here. And, and if what we're doing is not making us money, we're, we need to do something different that will. So they're still going to have some events there because I read the press release. They're going to have some events, just not racing. So gonna, they want to do some different stuff at that establishment that, that can create more of a, a profit for them. And I think it's the beginning of the end for the place, which is sad because it's a beautiful facility over there in Glendon, which is just, uh, I guess, just east of, of Fargo. Beautiful facility. You know, the racetrack, it needed some new clay on it. But, you know, I've raced there myself. I've, I've had some great races there. There's a lot of great racers from really right around there. I mean, folks, we're talking there's 200,000 people or more just in the Fargo-Moorhead area. So they're in prime location. It's, right. it's just a matter of how do they got to get people there. And I think that kind of brings us back to the old way of promoting was, you know, hey, promote, we're having a race. Well, here's the deal. Fargo, that area is booming. There's so many people that live in the Fargo-Moorhead area that aren't from there. They're moving into town. Maybe they're not race fans yet. And this is where racetracks really got to pay attention because you need to be doing unique, innovative things to get people to the track that are not already race fans. And that's where people are missing the boat. And if people don't start doing that, this is going to happen at more and more tracks. And, you know, it, it's sad to see. I, I really feel for the local guys there that race their weekly and support of that place year in, year out. Because, man, if I was racing full time at, at any, you know, at my home track and they closed the doors on me... <clears throat> That, that's going to hurt them for sponsorship opportunities and all kinds of things. It's just not a good deal for, for the racing community as a whole. And Puka, one last thing on that is, again, that's tied right to Fargo. And you talked about shots. Well, when they went from a half mile and Donnie Schatz's dad bought the track, they actually shortened it up, had terrible racing, closed the place down. So that whole area, racing has really taken a big hit because now, now Fargo, I believe, is racing again. But the fact is, you know, when you shut a track down, some of the people that were not necessarily all in diehards, they quit. And they're like, I'll find a different hobby. So that the racing community as a whole in the Fargo-Moorhead-Glinden area has really taken a hit. And it's, it's just bad for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that they last, so this winter of 1819, I drove by there and they had it all iced for snowmobiles or something. So you were saying different events, but yeah, evidently it just uh, – 
I don't know, something backfired there. But yeah, you're right. Fargo Moorhead is completely booming. It's been booming out there for like 20 years. So you'd think that, gosh, you could find a way to make things, you know, work, you know. So just that, that four-lane highway, Highway 10, out from Moorhead, out from Fargo, it's not that far of a drive, you know. You don't have the noise pollution problems. So, well, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Bert, so Shannon Babb, two team zero. That was probably the biggest news on the open late model uh, front. You know, I just, I, in a way, I just can't believe it took this long because I know that in other interviews I've heard Scott say nice things about Bab. So, Bert, what say you about Bab moving over to Team Zero? Well, it, it, I'm not shocked at all because um, Bab raced a couple races for Bloomquist last year, didn't he? When Bloomquist was out injured. And uh, so, I mean, so that's not surprising at all. The thing I liked about it was how Bloomquist announced it to the world. They, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the video on Facebook, uh, he video of Bloomquist where he states, uh, this world is coming to zero domination and uh, that uh, they're ready to put, they use the F word to put heat on the competition. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, it's a typical Bloomquist <laughs> being Bloomquist. So, I mean, I, I thought that was a cool aspect of it. <laughs> Go ahead, Ryan. He's a marketing dream, I tell you. You know, if he's coming to your racetrack, he's the guy. He, he promotes that guy, and uh, yeah, he he don't he doesn't hold back. And you know, I tell you what, and that's Bab's driving style, right? So Bloomquist is that guy in front of the mic. He'll just say whatever. But Shannon Bab is up on the wheel. He's pounding the cushion. Kind of a different deal with you know. You look at Bloomer, Madden, Ricky Weiss. They're kind of a smooth momentum type deal. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see somebody that's banging the cushion, knocking the wall down, up on the wheel. He is fun to watch. And it's going to be uh, exciting to see how that transition works for him. <laughs> All right, fellas. We'll just wrap up uh, with a couple of birthdays. Uh, T-Mac, Tim McCready, turned 46 uh, on the 12th uh, yesterday. And uh, an upcoming birthday that we found out, Rick Ockland will be 34, uh, or excuse me, 34, 64. I was say 34. Um, <laughs> on April 25th. So uh, we wanted to make sure we wished uh, T-Mac and Rick Auckland both a uh, very happy birthday. And uh, anything else, fellas? Yeah, Rick Auckland. Uh, you remember the old Apple Grand Prix go-kart track that was in Somerset right by the Cedar Lake Speedway? Well, I remember when I was a kid, it was back in the it was 80s. It was before I started racing. I started racing at 15, so it must have been must have been like 11, 12, somewhere in that neighborhood. Well, every time the USA Nationals came to town or a big show or the, the Soda 100, we would go to the Apple Grand Prix and race, right? And, and I remember Bob that ran the place. It's, it's closed down. That guy was just great. I just, so many memories there. And, and every time I went there, he's like, you got to start and back. And I was so pissed off. I'm like, what do you mean I got to start and back? I mean, it was recreational go-kart racing. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to beat all these guys. I'm passing them all. And he'd be like, nope, you're starting in the back. You're lighter than them. And I would just, I was like, just mad, right? And, and then, he'd ha then he'd be standing back by me, and he'd put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, it's no problem. You're way better than these guys. I've seen you race. You're going to drive right by him. And he'd just be kind of feeding my ego. And I would drive right by everybody, and I'd win. And I felt like I was King Kong, right? And he took a picture of me carrying the checkered flag, and I was proud as a peacock, all kind of people there. And, and literally, he took a picture, and it was on the wall in the Apple, in, right inside the building, and it said, I beat Rick Auckland, right? Because I passed <laughs> him in that race. Well, a few years later, 
I realized that he was actually turning the governor up, right? So I was considerably <laughs> faster than everybody else. But man, I thought I was really good. You know, so that, that's my Rick Auckland story right there. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, uh, with that, uh, we'll uh, we'll sign off here. And like I said, yeah, I hope everyone had a great Easter and. And uh, we will be back in a week as always. So get out there, everyone. Be your dream. You are tuned to the One to Go show.